All right, so today, short and easy, right? That scripture, nothing confusing at all. All right, so this week we start um, with Jesus. He unrolls the scroll and reads these words. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim good news to the poor. To proclaim good news to the poor. I don't know about you, but for me, 2020 has felt like the year of no good news. I don't have to replay all of the current events going on all around, but for me personally, I feel like I don't remember a time in my adult life where I have felt so much just heaviness, divisiveness, hatred, sickness, worry, fear. It's just felt a little crazy. And I think I've felt so much uncertainty, not really even knowing how to think about things, process things, how to lead my children through a pandemic, how to talk with friends when I believe very differently about the hate and devastation in the world. Not to mention, being at home with four little boys left me very little time to think and pray and process. So I think it's safe to say 2020 has rocked me personally in certain ways that I haven't experienced in a while. I have felt an overarching, like just weariness and defeated feeling. And for months on end, I just feel like I mumbled over and over, Lord, what are you doing? Lord, as your child, how do I respond to these things? What am I supposed to say and do to respond? And I don't know about you, but coming back to Bible study was like somebody just threw cold water on my face, and it woke me up, and it reminded me, as it always does, the Bible, the scriptures, is where we find our truth. The Bible tells us where to go. Even if there aren't specifics, we know our path, we know the truth, we know the way to go. And today, I'm so excited that we have good news to talk about this morning. So let me pray before we start. Lord, we do thank you for this good news. It can be a little bit confusing and a little bit hard to understand, but Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you decipher these things for us? Would you help me as I feel weary even today? Would you help me to remember that this is not about me, that your Holy Spirit is the one who has power, has truth, has the ability to convict and open eyes to see Jesus and for salvation. So Holy Spirit, would you be here? Would you take me out of this picture and would you just proclaim the truth that we all may see Jesus? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so Luke has jumped in and moved us very quickly through Jesus's childhood, and today he's unfolding Jesus' earthly ministry. We are told in verse 16 that he is heading back to his hometown, to Nazareth. And don't you just love how he throws in, he's headed to the synagogue on the Sabbath, as was his custom. I think he's purposely pointing out that it's important to go to church, but that's just a side note. He gets into church, he takes the scroll, and he purposely opens to Isaiah 61. And we have to read this from the mouth of Jesus. In 4, 18 and 19, read with me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So I ask you in your cross-references, who are the poor? I hope y'all spent a lot of time talking about this. But if Jesus' central message is to bring good news to the poor, we have to know who the poor are and what the good news is. I would like to, to really talk about, I think our culture has extremely taken these verses out of context. So let's play a little game. What happens in your brain when you hear Jesus came to bring good news to the poor, the poor. What image comes into your brain? I would like to suggest that a lot of us encountered an image of maybe somebody with torn clothes, someone who was hungry, someone who didn't have a family, maybe like a homeless person on the side of the road. Now, if that is what the Bible means, then that means that Jesus did not come to bring good news to anyone in this room. So that can't be what this scripture means. The Greek word, which I will not attempt to pronounce, but listen to what this means. I want you to see how this is focusing on your soul, your state. The Greek word for poor means to be thoroughly frightened, to hide in fear, roving about in wretchedness, or more clearly defined as needy or helpless. Matthew 5, 5, 3 explains this very well. Blessed are the poor in spirit. So this poor has absolutely nothing to do with your monetary worldly possessions, but has everything to do with your spirit, your state of mind, your soul. This is the beginning of Jesus showing us that he is coming to preach an upside down kingdom. He did not come for the people who have it all together. He did not come for the people that don't need help. He did not come for the people that will not submit to the authority of God and see their weakness and need for him. So Jesus is coming for the outsider. He is coming for the poor in spirit, the humble, the one who knows we do not live for this world, for the one who knows we live in such a desperate state, we cannot take a breath without the God of the universe giving it to us. So, poor in spirit has to do with your state of mind, your standing before Jesus Christ. If you know you need a Savior, and you are banking your whole life on Jesus Christ and what he said and did, then you are who Jesus came for. So now we know the who. What is this good news? We've already been given hints about this good news in Luke, but the Greek word used over and over means to evangelize. So this good news means the gospel. The gospel. What is the gospel? Jesus spells it out very clearly in these next couple of verses. The first way we see it is Jesus says, I am proclaiming liberty to the captives. He is coming to bring deliverance. Matthew Henry says it like this, by the merit of Christ, sinners are released from the bondage of guilt and corruption. It is deliverance from the worst of enslavements to those who are willing to be ruled by Christ. So what are we captive to? What are you captive to? (laughs) I can tell, I can tell you for me, this might sound silly, 
I have felt very captive over these last several months to my terrible attitude. I've been so explosive, which I blame on one of my sons that he's the most explosive person in the world, but I'm afraid he actually sees it in me. When I can't get out of the chaotic situations, I absolutely lose it, and I can't stop doing it. I feel so defeated that I continually explode on my kids when I cannot control the chaos. But the truth is, that sin should throw me fully onto Jesus, and I should claim that that sin does not have victory, and I will keep fighting till the end because I know Jesus has victory. The good news is Jesus came to free us from that sin and guilt. We are no longer captives, but we are free. We are willing to be ruled by by Christ and proclaim that he is on the throne no matter what. Satan will not have the final word. True and total deliverance will come for those who call on the name of Christ. We also see that the good news is recovering of sight to the blind. I love this picture, right? What can a blind person do? What can you do for yourself if you're blind? Absolutely nothing. We are stumbling around in the dark and we can't see a thing. And then God, rich in mercy, gives us sight. He brings us to light. Those who call on the name of Christ will have their eyes opened to see the beauty and the riches of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. We will no longer stumble around the darkness not knowing where we are going. The good news, we are told, is to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Those who are oppressed by sin are set free. And this is amazing. This is something I learned. Did you wonder what it meant when it said the year of the Lord's favor. Remember back in the Old Testament in Leviticus when we learned about the Day of Atonement and the Year of Jubilee. I'll give you a quick refresher. The Day of Atonement would happen one time every year. The priest would come in, he would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat, and this would offer full atonement for the people's sins. So the Year of Jubilee would happen once every 50 years. So on the Day of Atonement, In the year of Jubilee, there was a loud trumpet that would signify joy and triumph because all the people that had any debt or mortgage were released. This debt was wiped away. You no longer had any more debt on the year of Jubilee. Also, anyone who was in captivity was released. They were no longer a prisoner. They were released home to their family. So we see, obviously, that the good news of Christ is pointing to the redemption from our slavery to sin and Satan and our restoration to the liberty to be the children of God. But the amazing part that I see in this scripture is when Jesus said he is is fulfilling the scriptures today, he is claiming that he is the year of Jubilee. He is the year of Jubilee. Everything that the year of Jubilee is pointing towards to set people free from their debt, to release them out of captivity back to their family, Jesus is saying, I am that person. I am here. Everything that was talking about, you will find that in me. The Savior is here. 
And very soon he will shed his blood on the cross and forever release us from any debt that we owe. Do y'all see it? Who could ever make this up? The good news is that Christ paid the debt we owe once and for all and has brought us into his family as children of God. So the good news is deliverance from sin into freedom. The good news is being brought from the darkness into the light. The good news is being released from the debt of sin that we owe. We get small taste of that on the side of heaven, but the really good news is that this is coming fully and completely when Jesus returns. I know my soul is lifted out of that weary, defeated feeling with this good news. So before we look at how the people responded, I want to pose a question. Is there a difference in knowing who Jesus is, having knowledge about Jesus, versus believing in him, really knowing him, really trusting him? I believe there is, and I believe Jesus is showing us that here today. So how did Jesus' hometown people respond? In verse 20, we see that they responded to this message. The eyes of all of those in the synagogue were fixed in him. They were fixated on Jesus' words. In verse 22, it says, They all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming out of his mouth. So if the church people were listening intently, marveling at his message and speaking well of him, did they know Jesus? Were they believers? This is where things get sticky. Martin Lloyd-Jones says that the people had heard that Jesus had been going around and healing people. He had been healing the sick, and that's what they were expecting. They were expecting for Jesus to come in and heal all their people and do what they wanted him to do. But Jesus had a different message, didn't he? He was telling them that the Gentiles could have salvation. And they were mad. They did not like that message. It even tells us they were filled with wrath. They were so mad, they drove him out of the synagogue to a cliff and wanted to throw him over the cliff and kill him. I've prayed a lot that I will not cause any unnecessary doubt in true Christ followers. However, I do feel like Satan is so crafty and so deceptive that we must know that he can deceive people into thinking that because you know the facts about Jesus and because you go to church, that you are saved. These church people wondered at his teaching. These church people marveled at the gracious words, but they were so angry that he didn't do it the way they wanted him to do it that they wanted to throw him off a cliff and kill him. But I think what makes this line so clear is what we see from the demons. In, verse four, or in chapter 434, a demon cries out, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. This demon knows who Jesus is. He calls him Jesus of Nazareth, showing that he knows the importance of this name. I think there's also some mocking involved with that too. But the demon knew that Jesus had the power to destroy him. And, and the demon calls Jesus the Holy One of God, knowing that Jesus has divine authority. In 441, the demons called Jesus 
the Son of God. Even the demons know that he is the Christ. So are these demons believers? Absolutely not. They know who Jesus is, but they do not submit to his authority. I don't have time to launch into chapter 5, but I hope you see that a huge theme is that Jesus is claiming divine authority. He is claiming the power to forgive sins. He is showing us that our souls are more important than our physical bodies. So let's get personal. Do you know about Jesus or do you know him? Do you believe in him? Do you trust him? Do you submit to him? In Luke 5, 31, Jesus says, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This means that to be a Christ follower means that you are a sinner. It means you are not perfect. It means that you cry out to him when you are struggling to believe. Lord Jesus, I want to believe. Help my unbelief. But those who marvel and wonder at Jesus' teaching, those who never want to submit to his authority, those who never want to call themselves a sinner or repent for their sins, we are told in Revelation 3.15, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you are either cold or hot, but because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy for me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. Salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. There's that seeing again. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Be warned that the demons had knowledge of who Jesus was. The Jewish church people marveled at Jesus' teaching but then they were so angry they wanted to kill him. But the good news, to those of us who know that we are sick, that we need a physician, to those of us who know we are sinners and that we are even struggling and really wrestling through that sin right now, Jesus came for you. He delights in drawing you near. He delights in being your strength. He delights in being your perfect sacrifice. Be encouraged that some days this looks really messy. Some days I know that I'm drowning. I feel defeated. I've exploded once again. And I open my Bible in the kitchen and I'm plugging my ears while my kids are screaming. And I'm trying to drink in something that will restart me from that defeated feeling of my sin yet again. And then I read those words. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It jolts me back into focus. I cannot do this on my own. I need to admit it. And Jesus delights in helping me. One of my favorite songs that we sing all the time in RUF paints such a beautiful picture of a believer. I feel like we need to get rid of that image that believers are nice and neat and have it all together. Listen to these words of what a believer is. Come, ye sinners, poor and wretched, weak and wounded, sick and sore. 
Jesus, ready, stands to save you, full of pity, joined with power. He is able, he is willing, doubt no more. Come, ye needy, come and welcome. God's free bounty glorify. True belief and true repentance, every grace that brings you nigh. Without money, come to Jesus Christ and buy. Come, ye weary, heavy laden, bruised and broken by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. Not the righteous sinners Jesus came to call. Let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requires is to fill your need of him. This he gives you. This he gives you. Lo, the incarnate God ascended, pleads the merit of his blood. Venture on him, venture wholly. Let no other trust intrude. None but Jesus can do helpless sinners good. I went to Dr. Young one time, and in my OCD early motherhood days, I expressed my fear of teaching my boys about Jesus in a legalistic manner. I told Dr. Young, I feel like everything we're teaching them is works-based, obey, memorize. You know, I never want to say these things like, just pray the prayer and you're saved. I didn't want to give them this picture that if you just do something, you will be saved. So I said, Dr. Young, how do you clearly communicate to little kids what it means to trust in Jesus? I'll never get it. Like Dr. Young, he gets right in my face, right down in my face. And he said, you look at them and you tell them, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe, believe, take hold of this truth and believe, my son. Believe, Lord, help me when I don't believe. So I submit the simple yet profound truth. Believe, confess your deep need for a savior and believe every bit of what Jesus said and did is actually true. And that is really good news. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I'm so thankful for your words. I know that I have been rocked this year and I have given in to so much defeat and brokenness and worry um, that was really sinful and unnecessary. God, I pray that you would help me to focus on your words of life, that you would help me to remember that you are here to help me. I don't have to do anything on my own but that you delight in being my strength and being my perfect sacrifice. And God, I pray that you will just be with the women in this room. I pray that we would be a community that is safe, that we would not be afraid afraid to tell each other when we need help, that when we um, are feeling broken and needy, that we would be women that point people to you, Jesus, to your truth, to your saving grace, to your words of life. God, we thank you so, so much for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.